Welcome to Living Hope Church. We're glad you joined us this morning. Uh, if you have children that are kindergarten to third grade and are going down to Children's Church, they can dismiss out the back with Miss Melody. If you have children that are older than that or that are staying with us, um, there's activities on that back table. They're free to take back to their seat. Um, there's also a uh, sermon guide designed for your children that goes along with the sermon uh, that they can grab off that back table. Um, so today we are continuing in our series that we have titled The Exodus. Um, if you weren't with us last week, last week we saw God's incredible faithfulness and his provision as he parted the Red Sea and his people crossed on dry land. Um, and in that sermon, we saw some incredible principles of who God is and how he desires and how he does relate to us as people. We saw that God is able, he is faithful, and he can and will make a way forward if we are following him in faith. But we saw last week that is a big if. Because if we want to experience the promises of God, we must know him through a relationship with Jesus. And we must be faithfully walking with him day by day and seeking his wisdom and guidance in our life. So anyway, if you missed that message, that passage, you can go back and listen to it uh, on either YouTube or Apple Podcasts. Uh, but that brings us to the tail end of Exodus chapter 15. The Israelites have seen God's might in the plagues. They have been freed from Egyptian captivity. They've experienced the sea parting. They have crossed on dry land. They have seen God defeat their enemies. And it seems as though their faith must be swelling. God has provided again and again for them in miraculous fashion. Then on top of that, we saw last week that God is tangibly leading them on this journey through a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. There is no question that God has provided and also no question that God is with them and leading them. What a comfort, what an assurance for the people. And so as we walk into this passage, we would hope and pray that the Israelites' confidence has never been greater in God. He is provided. He is with them. And in a similar way, as we as followers of God, we are in a similar boat. If we take time to look back on our lives, on our past year, on this past week, we can see God's provision. We can see his love. We can see his grace all over our lives. God has been faithful to us time and time again to get us where we are today. And we, like the Israelites, we are promised to have God with us and leading us if we are followers of Jesus. The Bible says as soon as we put our faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes upon us and indwells us, is with us, and leads us if we follow him and his guidance. So we, like the Israelites, we have seen God provide. He is with us. He is leading us. You would hope and think that that, that truth would, would be enough to guide us and maintain our faith through any situation. But as we're going to see, we, like the Israelites, we are so prone to take our eyes off of God and to lose faith and begin to grumble. And grumbling seems innocent. It's just something we do. We live in a culture of grumbling. But what we're going to see in this story and see in life is that grumbling is sin. Grumbling is serious, and it shows a lack of faith in God. And let me be clear, when I say grumbling now, and I say grumbling throughout this sermon, I don't mean groaning, I don't mean lamentation, I don't mean disappointment, or even disagreement. Especially in the Psalms, the Bible is full of godly people who say, I am scared, I am hurt, I am upset, I wish things were different. God, would you do something about this? There's humility in those things. And the root of that is a recognition that this is out of my control and I need God's help. Grumbling, on the other hand, is like all other sins. It comes from a place of pride that says, God, you screwed this up, and I could run the universe better than you. Two Hebrew words make up the word grumble. They are lun and regan. Lun connotes growling, 
and Reagan is a whispered rebellion. I love that. What a beautiful picture of grumbling. Grumbling is rebellion against God that says, I know better. And it so often just sounds like growling. When we grumble, we declare our distrust in God's sovereign rule over our lives. We say, God, who you are and what you are doing is not good enough. And so today we're going to look at Israel's grumbling. We're going to look at the lie of grumbling. And in that, hopefully God will reveal those areas in our lives where we are not trusting God, but instead grumbling against him. And again, I think this is a huge one for us as individuals and for us as a church because we live our lives in a culture that grumbles and grumbles frequently. And it's so easy to be drawn into that attitude and that mindset. So we're going to be in Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. But before we get there, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for just what we all that we have seen throughout this study on Exodus. God, we thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness. Uh, God, we thank you for how you provide and, and how you are with us in, in such tangible ways. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, step into this passage of Scripture, Lord, that you would reveal those areas in our lives where we are not trusting you. And, God, that you would remind us of your goodness, that you would remind us of your character, that you would remind us of your past provision and your promise of future provision. And, God, I pray that we would turn those areas that, that you reveal to us over to you, Lord, and that we would trust you uh, with our lives. God, we thank you that you are good and that you are worthy of that trust. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22. It reads, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. Marah means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? So this is a real need. It's not fun to be thirsty, but God has just parted a sea. He has just conquered the greatest military in the known world. Do we really believe he did all of that just to lead the people to the desert to die from dehydration? Right? We just saw that God is able and that he can and will make a way if we are following him in faith. And yet the people just days later have already forgotten God's past provision and they are grumbling. They are doubting God in the midst of their current crisis. We do that same thing again and again. Verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camp there near the water. So God in his grace here, he provides water for the people. And not only does he provide water, but he gives them a respite, a, a break here in Elam. They spend some time camped at this oasis with plenty of water and plenty of shade. They have been through a lot and God gives them a reprieve of time of rest. Chapter 16, verse 1. says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and they came to the desert of Sin. Quick note here, the desert of sin, that sounds really ominous, but it really has nothing to do with the biblical word sin. Uh, in fact, it's just as likely translated zin, Z-I-N, and it just references the region of Sinai that they are uh, walking through. So don't, don't read too much into that one, although we're going to see that uh, come up. So starting again, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. For there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now remember in Egypt, not that long ago, when we first met them, the people were in captivity. They were slave labor. They were beaten. They were required to throw their firstborn sons into the Nile to drown. Life was not that good. And yet when you read verse 3, you would be led to believe the people just sat around every day, all day, eating a pot of meat fondue. And here we see our first point. And the first thing that grumbling does in our lives and the first evidence of grumbling in our talk is this. Grumbling always distorts the past. Numbers 33 tells us the Israelites headed into the wilderness one month after they left Egypt. The Israelites haven't been at this long. They have seen God perform multiple miracles in the month, and yet they're already grumbling and reminiscing about the great days in Egypt. And that's what grumbling always does in our lives. It always distorts and exaggerates the past, or it exaggerates how good everyone else has it, or it exaggerates the future. Flashback to Exodus 2.23. Here we get the reality of Egypt. It reads, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came to God. That's what they were doing a month earlier in Exodus 2, groaning and crying out. They're saying, we're miserable, we're slaves. Grumbling always relies on the distortion of the past. Verse 3, they say, oh, Egypt, we wish we would have died I mean, at this point, you almost don't even know, do we laugh at them or do we cry with them when we read this? Here they are after all these miracles they've seen. Remember, they're just three days into the wilderness, and they couldn't have water, and they're grumbling. Moses throws a stick in the water, and it turns sweet. Then they they go, and they camp out at this resort for a few days. And then they head into the wilderness, and now they're hungry. And all of a sudden, they're saying, I wish I was dead. God doesn't care about us. He doesn't love us. No one is watching out for us. I wish we could be slaves again. I wish we had died in Egypt. And we do the same thing. We all have a tendency to exaggerate the past, to remember better days, and to long for the golden era of days gone by. And it's that exaggerated past that we have in our minds that we compare the trials of today to. Or maybe you're younger and you don't exaggerate the past, but you exaggerate the future. And you compare today to these future days of glory that you imagine that we'll have no worries and we'll be problem free. Or maybe you don't exaggerate the past, but you exaggerate everyone else's life. And you compare your life to the Instagram life of models, actors, and friends. Lives which are as far from reality as the golden days of pots of meat in Egypt. Yuval Levin has a book called The Fractured Republic. And in this book, he looks at American politics, and he says this distorted reality is one of the great problems with both the left and the right. He said both parties remember glory days of the past instead of focusing on the present. He says the the left remembers the great days of the 60s, while the right longs for 1981 and the Reagan Revolution. In both cases, he says people are blinded by nostalgia, and they miss the way forward. Think about churches. Churches do this all the time. Churches die. They fail to reach their community because they long for the glory days of five years ago, 15 years ago, 50 years ago, instead of changing, adapting, and embracing the opportunities today. Because they won't give up the glory days of the past. Grumbling always distorts reality. 
But here is the reality. If you are grumbling and complaining today, the reality is you were probably grumbling and complaining back then. Back when you were in college, back when you were single, back when you had no kids, back when the kids were in the house, those were the days, we say. And there are blessings and there is a sense of loss in life. Things change, but the good old days weren't always so much better than today. And so when you feel yourself starting to compare, starting to distort reality, starting to compare the past to today, pause and do your best to put yourself back in those days and remember reality. Remember the good things, but also remember the challenges of the good old days. And as you do that, remember God's goodness in those days. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his provision. Remember his protection and give thanks for those days. Make a list of how God was faithful and provided in the good old days. Don't compare today to the exaggerated glory days, but instead remember God's goodness and faithfulness then. And as you remember his faithfulness, let that lead you to trust him today. Okay. Second point comes from verse 3 as well. So let's read again real quickly. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. And so our second point is this. Grumbling distorts the past. It exaggerates the past. But it also exaggerates the present. Grumbling exaggerates the past. But it also exaggerates the problems of today. Listen to this. If we had only died in Egypt, but instead you brought us out here to die. We saw this in chapter 14 as well. In chapter 14, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the deserts to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt, they say. These people have felt like there is no way forward before, and yet God has provided. And here they say they are starving to death. But if you fast forward to Exodus chapter 17, that's in the future, it's their next grumbling session. We see that they weren't necessarily starving to death or in this desperate situation. Exodus 17, 13 reads, But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. It's a pattern. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Did you hear that? What did the people have with them? They had their livestock. These people took large herds with them from Egypt. They have obviously not died in the wilderness or in the sea. If the people were truly on the brink of starvation, they had the resource to kill and eat. The people were so locked in on their struggle that they were greatly exaggerating the reality of their situation. We do that same thing. We are always exaggerating our circumstances. Many of us live our lives bouncing from one crisis to the next because whatever we are facing today is the greatest catastrophe, the greatest trial that any person has ever faced. We exaggerate today. We exaggerate our trials. We exaggerate our need. We exaggerate the words or expressions of others. Uh, and we live our lives backed into a corner that we have created in our minds. And this exaggeration is dangerous because it leads us to sin. It can lead us to slander. It can lead us to deceive and lie to others. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of another challenge with no solution. Or we find ourselves being attacked by yet another person or a, another institution. We have to take time and press pause and seek counsels from others. Maybe write out the facts of what is going on and what we are facing. Often when we take that step to make it tangible, it cuts down on our exaggeration in our minds. And then take down again, take time to write down the, ble the blessings of your life. Write down the ways God is providing and blessing in your life. 
This helps to create perspective and balance in our lives. I think the time I do this worst is I did last night. I wake up early in the morning. I'll wake up at 2 in the morning, and there are times that I wake up worrying about stuff that isn't even real. But at 2 in the morning, it is the greatest challenge I've ever faced. It is the greatest trial going on in the world. And I will try to come up with solutions in the middle of the night. Last night I had like eight things I was trying to come up with solutions for. But at 2 in the morning, my brain functions at about 5%. And then I woke up this morning, and every one of those problems was not a real problem. When I had perspective, when I had the facts that I was examining, I realized it wasn't even a problem, and it was certainly not as urgent as it was last night. Grumbling is similar to that. It exaggerates the past, and it exaggerates the present. When you find yourself grumbling, press pause and seek to find reality. Find the truth of what you are facing. See the blessings and the challenges for the reality they are and not what you have built them up to be. Verse 4. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your, gr your grumbling. So Moses and Aaron say, when the Israelites grumbled against them, it was not really directed towards them because they were nothing. They had no control. But the Israelites' grumbling was an attack, a sin against God. That's our next point. Grumbling is an attack, a sin against God. Remember here, we're not talking about lamenting. We're not talking about groaning or hurting where we cry out to God and we say, God, this is hard. This is too much. I am hurting. Please, God, intervene and help and guide me through. That's not grumbling. Grumbling is complaining that goes beyond and says, I know better. It is whispered rebellion that comes out and growls, and it often tries to get others on board. And it makes you, instead of God, the leader. It points the focus on you instead of God and the leaders he has appointed. So although their grumbling was directed at Moses and Aaron, the heart of their grumbling was against God. And Moses and Aaron, they're wise here. They don't personalize this grumbling. They say, who are we that you should grumble against us? They say, we're just, we're just following the fiery cloud like everyone else. We're just telling you what God tells us to say. It's kind of like when you, uh, kind of like when you people attack the church or the pastor or the speaker for preaching what the Bible says. The culture, you may disagree with the instruction of God, with the words of the Bible. When you grumble and attack it, it's not the teacher you have a problem with. It's God and his instruction. When we grumble, when we complain about God's rules, about our circumstances, about where God has led us in life, it is a strong indication that there is something wrong. There's something in us that doesn't trust God with our lives. Grumbling, although you might direct it at your spouse, your kids, your parents, you might uh, direct it at someone in authority, you are saying to God, you're not taking care of me, God. You're not looking out for me. You're not listening to me. I don't believe that you are really working all things for my good, God. You're saying, God, you're not interested in what's best for me. 
Grumbling dishonors God and it expresses either explicitly or implicitly that you don't trust him. Grumbling says to God, I either don't believe you care enough to help or God, I don't believe you are able enough, powerful enough to handle and provide in the midst of what I'm going through. Grumbling says, God, you messed this up or this isn't the way you were supposed to let things happen and I know better how you should have handled it. So what's the solution to grumbling? What's the antithesis of grumbling? Where do we turn when we find ourselves grumbling against God? Let's look at verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So the first thing we must do when we have a pension to grumble is remember God's character. Think about God. He has provided in miraculous ways to his people. And all they do is moan, complain, and groan, and long to go back to captivity. All they do is rebel and sin against God. At this point, God had every reason and every right to just wipe them off the face of the earth. I think if I was God, that would have probably been my response. Like, there are a few things I hate and have less patience for than complaining and grumbling. God has provided abundantly. He was leading them faithfully, and all they did was grumble, and yet God treats them with patience and grace because that's who God is. David in Psalm 86, 15 gives us a glimpse of God's character. He says, but you, Lord, you are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. They deserve to pay for their sins, and yet God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love and faithfulness. We see his character on display even in the midst of their sin. So when you and I, when we find ourselves grumbling against God, the best thing we can do is pause and remember his character. Go and read the scripture. Go and read Psalm 86. Remember God's character and his faithfulness in your life. Write down or spend time just praying or reading over the character of God. Reflect on his goodness, his love, his faithfulness, his power, his might, his forgiveness, his compassion, his omnipresent nature in your life. Reflect on who God is and in that stop grumbling and let his character turn your attitude from grumbling and rebellion to gratitude and trust. So when we're tempted to grumble, remember who God is. And who he is in our lives. Verse 13. We see his provision here. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called, it, called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. So our next point is this, and we see it here. It said, in your circumstance, in your grumbling, reflect on who God is. Reflect on his past faithfulness and trust God to provide for your today. Trust him to provide what you need in the midst of your circumstances. This is such a beautiful picture of how God so often provides for us and how he desires to walk with us in faith daily. The people complain and God doesn't grow angry, but instead God provides quail and he provides manna. And manna literally translates means, what is it? He doesn't provide for them in the way they expected. He doesn't provide for them a gourmet meal or a lifetime supply, but he provides daily for them for 40 years just what they need for each and every day. And it must have been so hard for the people. This was an agriculture people not to grab a little extra for the next day. It must have been so hard at the beginning to trust that there would be more manna, more quail tomorrow morning. It is difficult to trust that God's going to provide for us day after day again and again. But I would guess that daily trust got a lot easier after day 10 and even easier after day 1,247. God was building in them a habit of trust, a pattern of daily trust that became easier as he faithfully provided day after day. And it's that kind of trust, that kind of faith that God calls us to as he walks with us daily in faith with him. And that kind of trust becomes easier and easier as we see God provide again and again. And as we look back and remember his past faithfulness in the days gone by. So often when we are feeling that anxiety that leads to grumbling about today, about our circumstances, about our future, we desire for God to answer, to intervene. But so often we have expectations and parameters for how we want him to intervene. We don't usually want God's provision for the day, but we want God's answer and God's provision, not for the moment, but for the next six months or the next six years or the next 60 years. We want to know how God is going to work it out in the long term. And instead, God says, walk with me, trust me, because I know the way. We want the long-term answers so that we can feel back in control, so that we don't need God. But God says, trust me, walk with me. And so when we are feeling anxious, when we find ourselves beginning to question, beginning to grumble against God, we must pause and seek God's guidance in the moment, trusting that he is going to provide for today just as he always does. Think about Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches the people how to pray. And I think he probably had manna on his mind. He said, when you pray, here's what I want you to pray. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say give us our weekly bread, our monthly allotment, enough for the next year. But he says for today. Or how about when he says, don't worry about tomorrow, saying, what shall we eat? Right? That flashes back to manna in the wilderness. In the wilderness, you wake up and ask God, Lord, give us enough for today. And there it is. 
Every morning it was there, but by noon it was burned away. And then just when they become anxious about the next day, there it was again the next morning. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow morning. Don't worry about tomorrow. You'll get more bread then. God's love is steadfast. His mercies are new every morning, the Bible says. And he is calling us and leading us to be a people that trust him to provide just what we need for today. To provide just what we need in this circumstance. He's calling us to be a people of faith that walk forward with him day by day. A people that trust him to be with us, to provide for us, no matter what the future looks like down the road. Because he's able and he is trustworthy. Verse 32. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of man and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to keep it for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so they might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And so here God gives them this instruction to take a part of the manna with them so they will always remember his goodness and his faithfulness. That's why it's so important for us to tangibly make that list, counting his blessings, remembering God's faithfulness in our lives. And from this, I want to see the last thing in this passage, and that is that not only can you trust God to provide for today, but you can trust God to provide for eternity. God called Moses and Aaron to set aside an omer of manna to keep for the generations to come so they would always remember God's faithful provision. There's a problem with that today. The ark has been lost. We can't go to the Museum of Cultural History in Jerusalem and see the manna that God provided in the wilderness. So how can we know that we can trust God with our future? In John chapter 6, Jesus miraculously feeds people with bread. He miraculously feeds the 5,000. And the people say to Jesus, our forefathers received manna in the wilderness. And because of that, because they received the manna, they knew they could trust God. And so they say to Jesus, what sign will you give us so we know that we can believe and trust you? Verse 32, John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they say, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The people say to Jesus, Moses gave us manna, so we knew we could trust God. We want a sign from you too. Well, first Jesus corrects them and says, it's not Moses that gave you manna, but it was God the Father. And he says, it is that same God that has sent me. And I am your evidence that you can trust God. I am better than any manna your forefathers received. Because I'm not just enough for today, but I am the bread of life that will meet your greatest need for eternity. I am the bread of life that is a sacrifice for your sins. I am the assurance of forgiveness you have. I am your hope and assurance of eternal life. I am your everything if you will turn and follow me. Because of Jesus, because he is the bread of life, you can trust God not just with your tomorrows, but you can trust God with your forever. You can trust him with your eternity. And if God has provided in the midst of your greatest need, which is your sin, which we talk about all the time, if he has provided for your eternity, then because of that, you can certainly trust God with whatever you're facing today. 
So as we begin to wrap up, as Melinda comes to play, I think there are different areas in our life uh, where we can be. I think for many of us, probably for all of us, there are areas in our life where we are grumbling today. There are areas in our life where we tend to seek control as opposed to trusting God. What are those areas in your life where you tend to exaggerate the past or the present? Where are those areas in your life that God is calling you to trust him today? My prayer is that as we reflect, God would reveal those areas quite clearly to you. And my prayer and my encouragement for you would be to repent and to surrender those areas and to trust God. Remember his past faithfulness. Try to remember those crises of the years and days gone by. Remember how God saw you through and how he provided in the midst of them. Make a list of those things. Count your blessings. Write them out and turn to those and trust God in the midst of your circumstances. And so as you remember those areas, would you surrender and trust God with your today, with your crisis that you're facing today? And if you're here today and you have never trusted God with your forever, if you have never experienced Jesus' forgiveness in your life, if you don't have an assurance of an eternity with him in heaven, would you pray and just ask God to reveal himself to you? If that's you and you have questions, I'd love to talk with you after service of what it means to follow Jesus and how he is the bread of life, how he does offer you forgiveness of your sins and the assurance of heaven. So I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, Melinda will, will play. Ooh, those words rhyme and too close to each other. Melinda will play. Uh, we'll take a few moments just to reflect, and I'll come back and close this. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a God that is trustworthy and a God that provides. God, we thank you that you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. God, I know that I, and I think we, um, we can be so hard-headed and we can so miss who you are and how you are providing, and yet you are compassionate and gracious with us. God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that as we spend a few minutes here, Lord, that you would reveal those areas in our life where we are grumbling, where we are not trusting you. God, I pray that you would reveal them clearly, that we would know where those areas are. And God, that you give us the courage to repent and trust you in them. God, I pray that you would help remind us and bring up those instances where you have been so faithful in our lives, where you have provided so abundantly in our lives. God, would you help us to give thanks and remember those and as we remember those, Lord, would you help us to find our trust in you? God, we thank you that you are able to handle whatever it is we're walking through today. God, we thank you that you are trustworthy to handle whatever we're walking through today. God, we thank you that you are good and you are mighty and you are powerful enough to handle it. May we trust it to you. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, hasn't trusted you with their eternity, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them today? Would you reveal their need for you? and the promise and assurance of heaven that waits in them. God, we love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.
God, again, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you are worthy of our faith and our trust. And God, I pray that as we go throughout this week, Lord, that you would reveal again and continue to reveal those areas where we're not trusting you. But God, I also pray that as we go throughout this week, when we feel those feelings of anxiety or grumbling coming, Lord, that we would, uh, that we have the courage to remember your faithfulness and to trust you with it. God, we thank you that you are able and that you are good. Uh, God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I got a few announcements for you this morning. <clears throat> First of all, if you are new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card uh, somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the wood box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. Um, that's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Um, in terms of announcements, uh, we have a few announcements. Um, small group is going to begin meeting on Sunday nights from 6 to 7 here at the church. We will start back on September 25th. Uh, if you're help, interested in helping at all with just teaching the children during that time, uh, or if you have questions about coming, you can come and see me, uh, or you can write that on your uh, welcome card. Uh, youth group will begin meeting uh, September 21st, so will Kids Night, um, here at the church from 6 to 7. Um, if you're interested in helping with youth group or Kids Night, uh, you can write that on your uh, welcome card and put it in that back box, and someone will contact you. Also, uh, Melody talked about this last week, but at youth group, we uh, serve a meal for the kids because uh, so often they're coming straight from activities or practices. Uh, if you're interested in being on a rotation to do that, uh, you can write that on a note, or you can come see me or Melody as well. Uh, worship team, we always need help, and we're kind of restarting here in the fall. So if you're interested in serving uh, anyway on the worship team, you can write that on your welcome card, or you can contact uh, myself uh, or Melody here down in Kids Church. Uh, last thing, uh, this is exciting, but October 9th represents our fifth anniversary as a church. Uh, and so we're going to spend some time just celebrating God's faithfulness to, to our church over this past five years. We're going to do that in our worship service at 10 a.m. Uh, and then we are going to go down to the pavilion around 11, 30, 12 and just share a meal uh, and just gather and celebrate who God is and how he has been so uh, faithful to us. So we would love for you to put that on your calendars and join us uh, for that. Uh, we'll provide the main uh, meal, our main food at that, and we'll do like potluck side dishes and desserts if you'd like to be a part of that. If you have any questions about that, you can see me as well. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you again next week. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.